Hello, welcome to the podcast for the September issue of The Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane here with editor John McConnell to talk through some highlights from this month's issue. John, let's start with a review on cutaneous leishmaniasis. This appears to be a neglected disease. Why is that? Yes, it is, Richard. And that's because it occurs predominantly in the poorer parts of the world. So, for example, uh, particularly in uh, Latin America, in parts of Central Asia, Afghanistan, for example, sub-Saharan Africa, parts of the world which really don't have the money to do research or to pay for modern drugs. So that, that's why it's a, a neglected disease. So, John, what's the basic epidemiology of this disease? Well, leishmaniasis is caused by a single-celled protozoan parasite, which is transmitted from person to person by the bite of um, sandflies. And the organism has quite a complicated life cycle, which involves reproduction uh, within people and within the sandflies themselves. So when the sandfly bites, it might actually it might inject you with a, a stage of the organism, or it might pick up a blood meal, and in doing so, pick up another stage in the life cycle, and therefore continue the transmission cycle. What the organism does in human beings is it causes lesions of the skin and mucosa, and these can be very diffuse and destructive. Though cutaneous leishmaniasis is actually seldom life-threatening, but it can be very disfiguring. And how is it diagnosed and treated? Well, the gold standard for diagnosis is detection of the parasite. So, for example, a smear on a biopsy smear on a microscope slide, you'd look for the parasite on that. The WHO recommended treatment is with a class of drugs called pentavalent antimonials, which are given by injection. They have to be given daily by th- for three to four weeks. Although these drugs do work, they can have potentially serious side effects. So there are issues around uh, having a, a firm diagnosis because you really don't want to um, give a drug with uh, such potentially serious side effects when you're not certain of the diagnosis. Presumably a problem with compliance too. That's right, because um, sometimes the the drugs have to be injected directly into the lesions. It might be a real struggle to force yourself to do that for 20 days in a row. What do the authors suggest can really be done to control this disease? It's very difficult. You need to control the soundfly vector, but uh, that has little ecological niches just about everywhere. People can prevent themselves being bitten by the use of insecticide-treated nets, as are used for malaria prevention. Vaccines have been developed, but so far none of them have worked. There are certain bottom lines which the authors suggest in this review for future work. So, for example, there are some new drugs. We really need some good trials on whether these work. We need to be able to afford them, of course, for the parts of the world which um, find it hard to pay. We don't actually have a great idea of the global burden of disease because there are asymptomatic infections, and it's almost certainly infection is underreported, so we don't know the true burden of disease. We don't know such simple things as what the uh, true ecology of the disease is in um, in sand flies. So there are many unanswered questions in this disease before it moves from being neglected, I think. Yeah, and just finally, I think the authors pick up, don't they? Because it's an under-recognised disease, there are implications for policy makers, aren't there, in public health, getting it up the agenda, really? That's absolutely right, though there is new money going into the field. And moving on, I see you've, you've got a systematic review, a meta-analysis, and this uh, concerns a type of tuberculosis linked to Crohn's disease. Please can you explain and start off by talking about what MAP is? Well the organism which we're talking about here is called Mycobacterium avium paratuberculosis. So it is related to the organism that causes tuberculosis. 
In this review, the authors are looking at the association between an organism which we'll call MAP, uh, <laughs> to save us some breath, <laughs> and Crohn's disease. Now, Crohn's disease is a chronic inflammatory bowel disease of human beings. Many years ago, back in the 19th century, it was recognised that... Um, MAP causes a type of inflammatory bowel disease in cattle called Yone's disease. So people have thought for a long time, well, if it causes this disease in cattle, could it possibly have something to do with a disease which so shows a very similar histology in human beings? Researchers have been looking for a long, long time whether they can find any association between the presence of MAP and Crohn's disease. The public health implication is that MAP is found in milk, even in pasteurised milk. So pasteurisation does not necessarily kill the organism. So it is possible that if MAP is causing Crohn's disease, then it is being transmitted to people in milk. That's interesting, John. Can you just outline briefly the methodology, really, of, of the systematic review, how they went about it? What the authors have done is that they've attempted to gather together the, the totality of evidence related to the question of how strongly MAP is associated with Crohn's disease. What a systematic review does is it the method you use is you search all the available databases of published papers. You try to bring together all the data into one place, and then you can apply quantitative methods to that data, and in which case you're doing a sort of subset of a systematic review called a meta-analysis. And that is what the authors have done here, is they've actually looked at the odds ratios. They've gathered together all the uh, quantitative data into one place from 28 case control studies, and they've calculated from that totality of data what the odds ratio is for the association between the presence of MAP and Crohn's disease. And the key finding was? Well, the key finding is that if you compare people with Crohn's disease to people who have no inflammatory bowel disease, then there's an odds ratio of something like seven, which is a pretty strong finding. And then if you compare Crohn's disease with something called ulcerative colitis, so that's people with Crohn's disease with people with ulcerative colitis, which is a, a different form of inflammatory bowel disease, not thought to be related to the presence of MAP, then you find an odds ratio of four favouring the presence of, of MAP. So these are strong associations between the, the presence of MAP and people having Crohn's disease. Indeed, but this is always the... Uh $64 million sort of question really, isn't it? There's a there's, there's a there's quite a difference between a strong association and actually leaping, or actually reaching a conclusion of causality. Well, there is a very, there's a very big difference. So what you can say here is that these authors have shown unequivocally by gathering together all the data that MAP is specifically associated with Crohn's disease. What the study doesn't address and can't address is whether MAP causes Crohn's disease. I suppose there are three alternative things that could be going on here. MAP could be causing the Crohn's disease, that's the first thing. The second thing is that it could be uh, exacerbating an already existing disease. And the third thing is that people with Crohn's disease might just be more likely to be colonised with this organism, which is doing them no harm whatsoever. Thank you very much, John. And let's conclude with a personal view, which has galvanized uh, some of the media headlines a few days ago. This concerns the virtual gaming world and what it can tell us about 
epidemiology and I suppose almost preparedness really to do with um, emerging epidemics. Do go on and tell us all about this, John. Well, this is a a fascinating piece of work and speculation is that (laughs) two years ago, one of these massive online computer game worlds called World of Warcraft, about two years ago, there was a, what can only be called an outbreak of infectious diseases in this game world, which involves about four million players. So what happened is that the programmers introduced a new area into the game where people who were particularly powerful uh, game users could go and attempt to fight a um, some new monster and one of the tactics that the monster used in order to combat its attackers was to infect them with something which was called corrupted blood now for the people who entered this area the corrupted blood was sort of no more detrimental to them than a, than a heavy cold might be but of course what they tended to do is that they tended to go back to the conurbations if you if you like that exist in the in the world of warcraft and without being cured and then they passed on the corrupted blood disease to people who were far less powerful than they were and who died from it so that the virtual characters died how serious are the arguments that the author puts forward here about how we can we could use something like virtual game world situations and apply that as a model to how we would react in a human way to a disease epidemic? Well, what they're suggesting is that this type of situation could be used to inform the existing models which we have of how infectious diseases works. So there are mathematical models of the epidemiology of infectious disease, but what you can't do in those models is you can't build in the minute-to-minute behaviour of individuals. So all you can do is you can put in a sort of overall mathematical equation which attempts to model how individuals behave, but you can't turn that into the behaviour of individuals. So what they're saying here is that because people who uh, use these online games are invested emotionally in their play. If a situation arrives of an infection analogous to an infectious disease, they may well behave as they would with an infectious disease epidemic in a real-world situation. So what the authors observed, for example, is that some players who had curative powers actually attempted to go to the to the aid of the, the sufferers of this corrupted blood disease. Others attempted to get out of the way as quickly as possible and, of course, you know, spread the disease around. Still others actually seemed to go around deliberately trying to infect other individuals. So there was an interweaving of different patterns of what appeared to be real human behaviour in this game scenario. Thanks, John. I mean, it clearly is an interesting read. And, you know, it may sound jokey, but, you know, there are some serious messages here. And after all, John, you did have to peer review this, didn't you? Yes, this is quite a challenge, actually. Who do you get to to peer review a a paper about computer gaming? So uh, I did ask an infectious diseases modeler, a mathematician who who has built uh, infectious diseases models and who has given advice at government level. So uh, he was quite enthusiastic about it. And I also had to to find somebody who was an expert in, in in computer gaming theory. And both reviewers were quite positive about the paper. Which is interesting, and let's so let's not laugh at it or dismiss it. Let's just wait and see if other similar papers come up using this type of modelling in the future. Well, I mean, in, in theory, I suppose, you could get gamers to play out scenarios, which uh, of infectious diseases scenarios, which you deliberately introduced into their, into their game world, and they could become little experimental models, no, knowingly, of course. 